are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod, and that's it. No Bridget in the Grotto Pod. Today we have a special Grotto Pod for you. Bridget is off teaching in far-off lands, exotic lands, upstate New York. So I have with me today the Idaho writer-in-residence, Mr. Christian Wynn. Hello there. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> happy to be here. Now, for my first solo Grotopod, I had to choose wisely as who I was going to allow into the Grotopod with me. Uh, Grotopod listeners, Christian and I have a very long history. But we before we get to that, I want to read off your bona fides. See, I'm changing up the whole format here. Normally, Bridget and I will talk for 10 minutes or so, and then I'll say, let's go get our guest. She'll even get uh-huh. our guest. Everyone will get mad thinking I'm putting her in a subservient role when actually, as you can tell, I'm pinned into the corner. Yes. <laughs> it's small. So it's if anyone else space. were to come in. Yes. We've been told not to talk about how small it is, but it's really hard to avoid. It's okay. And how, well, well, it starts sweating. Sometimes. It has high ceilings. Yeah, so, okay. And we will sweat. So, all right, let me give you your, our uh, bona fides here. Christian Wynn is the author of Naked Me, a book of short stories that came out in 2014. Yes. Uh, he has an upcoming book of short stories that will be coming out. Yes, in October. We just learned October, today. Um, around the 15th. What's that one called? Uh, what's Wrong With You is What's Wrong With Me. Okay. Uh, he has a novel in progress. He has won several awards, National Magazine Award winner for fiction, uh, Gulf Coast Fiction Prize in 2006, nominee for a Pushcart Prize in 2010. Nice work over there, yes. Mr. Wynn. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he is the Idaho writer-in-residence, as I said, and we're going to talk about that a little bit because I think that's a position that is kind of unfamiliar with a lot of people, what that means and, and what that entails and what you do. Yeah. Uh, also, Boise's third favorite writer. <laughs> yes, Idaho's, I think. Idaho's Idaho, third I think favorite writer. You know, and, and you could go ahead and you can go <laughs> ahead and, and soft pedal that if you want, but if you tried to make a list of favorite writers here, I mean, you'd get pretty far down the list with some pretty prominent people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So good work on you uh, behind uh, Anthony Doerr, I think, won that one. Yes. Does he win everything in Boise? Pretty much. He's the big one. He has been a writer in residence there in the past who beat me to it, but he's pretty fancy. Nice. In addition, and this is another thing we want to talk about a little bit, uh, Chris has really redefined, well, not redefined, you've defined your position in the writing world as something other than just a writer. You're also an educator and an, I guess a community organizer. How would you? I've become it? one, I guess. Like <laughs> kind of just by accident, not really by accident, but I can talk about that. We too. will talk about that. So what he does is he hosts a monthly uh, writing series, a reading series called the Campfire Stories. Uh, Writers Write Workshop, which is something you also do. Yes. That's a regular deal. And the co-founder of Story Fort, which is uh, part of the Tree Fort Music Fest, which is now in its, do we decide, seventh year? Yes. Tree Fort yep. is. And uh, actually, I'll let you explain a little bit about what Story Fort is. Yeah, right now? Sure, ready? bring it on. Okay. Um, there is one other series that I'm, I'm putting on now, too, with okay. Radio Boise called the Couch Surfer Artist Series, where we have a musician and a writer and a moderator. It's kind of like Charlie Rose meets Tiny Desk Concerts. Okay. So, and a conversation and performance. So that's, is that's, it that highbrow? Well, maybe not. Well, we can yeah. be medium eyebrow. Medium but, yeah, so, um, kind of a John Seabrook no-brow type of thing? There we go. <laughs> Something like that. But that's <laughs> one other thing that's kind of fallen in my in my lap, if you will. But, um, yeah, so Story Fort, um, it, you know, most Grotto Pod listeners might not know about the Tree Fort Music Fest, which is a kind of – was 
based on the South by Southwest model to a degree, um, but I have local indie with a lot of um, bands from the region up in the Pacific Northwest, and then we bring in a couple, they bring in, I don't do the music side of things, but they bring in, you know, some bands from all over the world, um, mm-hmm. and it's become a really cool, like, downtown festival um, over five days in March, and um, I know the the organizers of it just personally, and had, you know, as a writer in town, and, you know, a person who'd done a lot of readings and, and uh, put on workshops in Boise, thought it'd be really cool to have a literary component um, because what's ended up happening with Tree Fort overall, there's a yoga fort aspect, there's a <laughs> hack fort, yeah, yes, there's ale fort. There is a uh, kid fort. There are all these other so forts. So it sounds forts. a little silly, but it actually works really well as a like community arts um, endeavor. And it's really changed kind of the face of Boise over the last seven years in a really cool way. I mean, it, it, um, it's a lot of awesome collaborative, you know, sort of uh, performances and panels. And um, we do stories at Stories Fort on all levels, as many levels as we can possibly fit in. We have like some spoken word artists we bring in. We did like some bartender stories we did some bouncer stories there's a couple of music scene stories or the history of Boise um, rock we did a lot of that um, and then brought in some podcasters we brought in like Lizzie O'Leary from NPR and um, some local um, podcasters and we might have the grotto pod people Which there this, awesome. this March Pull so off. anyway stories in many forms is kind of how we take on um, the idea of, of the narrative I guess at uh, story Fort. so yeah it's, I mean we brought in like 65 um, writers and storytellers and we brought in at our part of the the festival over twenty five hundred people at all our different events. Fantastic! So it was pretty cool. So, so we started something new also uh, at this here Grotto Pod uh, this week, where we had since our guest is not a Grotto member, I had him come in early and kind of sit for lunch with the Grotto people. And what struck me about this lunch, aside from the fact that nobody talked about writing, was that everyone was very uh, how would I put it. They're very interested in the fact that you were from Boise. They yes. thought it was very exotic. And, and I think it's really interesting, too. So why don't we start there? So, if, uh, listeners, I'll, I'll take you back a little bit. There was a time in the 80s when Christian went here. And I'm going to be calling him Chris because that's what I used to call him. And I hope that's that, totally fine. Is this, okay. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, I, was, I think we were talking about that last night. It's like. Oh, you call him Chris. You must know him well. Uh, yeah. Hey, you must be. <laughs> yeah, you do, circle. but I, I, yeah, I do. But anyways, we were young guys uh, running around the streets of Seattle, and uh, I became an old guy, and he stayed young. But at some <laughs> point, you left Seattle to go to Boise, and it seems like everything really took off for you when that happened. So I'm curious, yeah. was that part of the decision to go there? Did you know where you were going when you went there? Or did it just sort of not, turn out that way? Not exactly. I mean, I knew I was going at least on a temporary basis. But yeah, it was in the late 90s. It was been almost 20 years now, which is kind of crazy. Um, but and I had family in Idaho going way back into, you know, sort of uh, Oregon Trail times, really. And had visit, you know, visited Boise many times um, over the course of my youth. And then just as a, a guy and with a couple friends doing a couple cross-country road trips, we'd always stop in Boise, really fun um, pretty girls, we thought always, um, and my relatives there would always put us up and, and let us, you know, sleep on their couches and whatnot. So I was familiar with Boise, but my plan was just to kind of, I bought this Volkswagen Westphalia in Seattle and was like, just like, I was tired of living, living in Seattle. It was kind of time, I thought, to try something else. So I just, you know, had plans to go to Boise for the summer and then maybe kind of vagabond around through the winter down the southwest or something like that. Just kind of in that, I don't know, wanderlust period of my life, which I maybe still am a little bit. But um, 
Yeah, I just you know took a, an apartment, paid. I would saved up some money, so I paid ahead like six months in this apartment. And it's like well, we'll see how this goes. And since that time, yeah, I well, I then it was like I'm going to stay. And I'd been a writer in Seattle and done all the you know the things the the, the requisite you know, sort of research in the bars and the cafes mm-hmm. and uh, the beaches shouting and shouting uh, poetry on the shouting streets. poetry. And, yeah, so all that um, that you do as a a young man in Seattle in the in the early mid nineties, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we did all that. I got there. bad news for you. It was, was in the late eighties. Well, when I met you, yeah, yeah, that's true. But so, but when you got there, I mean, was there a sense that as as a writer uh, and, and as, as a fledgling writer, as as a, as a ambitious writer, was this a place where things could happen that maybe couldn't happen in a place like Seattle or a place like San Francisco or New York, a bigger place? You could stand out and really get things done. Yeah, I, I think so. Right away, I noticed, and one of the reasons I decided to stay in Boise is it was after you know Seattle in the '90s being you know sort of the, the hotbed for music and some culture, and there were a lot of clickishness at different <laughs> bars, and we didn't feel that in Boise. I didn't right away. Yeah. It's like we have a hippie hanging out with the punk kids with you know guys like our age now and um you know just 21 year olds in the bars and and coming to different events it was kind of like people didn't really put up the same kind of walls there i really enjoyed that and even if those walls aren't uh overt i've felt i've i and this is just me it's the the, just the weight of the challenge of standing out in a place that large. Yeah. I it's agree. pretty heavy unless you're someone who's really ambitious and really just looks at it and goes, yeah, I can, I can do this. Absolutely. And I, I did notice that it wasn't something I really thought about, like, I'm going to stay here so I can get known better. But it just happened. I went back to to school and to grad school. One of my favorite writers ended up starting the MFA program there, Robert Olmsted. He was somebody I had write a bunch of. Um, through, gosh, probably late eighties, early nineties, with, with friends and whatnot in Seattle. And then I was like, oh, he's, he teaches here, and I'd opened a vintage clothing store. There was That's something right. that was easier to do there than in Seattle, um, and furniture and clothes from like the forties, fifties, sixties. And then I was getting itchy to go back to more writing because I was doing a little bit too much of the you know, retailing, and then. Uh, Started, they started this program, and I just hopped in, and that was, I guess, the thing that kind of got me back into being, I mean, much more focused as a writer. Um, is the early 2000s, yeah. I, yeah. I remember in the in the late 80s and early 90s, us, the group of guys talking a lot about being writers. Yes. And a couple of, remember we had a meeting once where we were going to start a literary art magazine. Yes. And I think it might have been cartoons we were thinking of. We, oh, I can't we were ahead of our time, yes. I know that, but we didn't, in one meeting, that was it. We had a lot I know. Of you did start a magazine. I did. I did. But it wasn't literary by any stretch no. of the imagination. I had some writing in there. The That's zealot. right. You had yeah. some stuff in there. You were our, our uh, Lambretta representative, I That's believe. That's right. With motorcycles and I and was the scooter guy. You were the scooter guy. But actually, to back up a little bit, I don't even think it's the idea that you could move there and get famous. Yeah. You had mentioned that, oh, I can get big here. It's more the idea that you can move there and make the kind of impact you've made. Yeah. Even outside of just writing, all the things, you'd all the, all the, the readings that you run... That would have been a lot harder in a big place. It would have, for sure. And, um, I, you know, just in getting into the program and getting me you know, becoming kind of more focused as a writer for three years, um, 
I was able to participate in a lot of readings and enjoy that kind of stuff. But in Seattle, I had done like some poetry slam stuff. And mm-hmm. We would do some just walk into bars and you know recite yeah, poetry at times. <laughs> we were gorilla poet. Do that. I know. Exactly. As the night goes along, more people yes. are reciting poetry. Yep. And that was our gorilla poet days. I mean, <laughs> but we, I guess in Boise, yeah, started, I started seeing that you know these things were pretty well attended, um, and people are into it. Obviously, the grad students and you're doing something like that all kind of show up and then go out drinking afterwards or whatever. But we. I saw that, and I guess um, I continued as a, te- a professor at Boise State after I graduated. Now, did that happen right away? It did. So there was no. There was. I'm sorry, oh, I took up one semester. Yeah, but there was yeah. no point where you're like, okay, should I stay? Or like something had come up and. I really had kind of fallen in love with Boise, and you know, at that time, I really liked just the weather, the size of the city, this neighborhood called the North End where I live is walkable and Mm -hmm. bikeable, and you know, kind of not overwhelmingly expensive. Not yet, no. (laughs) Getting a little more so, but uh, that's another subject altogether. But um, so, I guess the I didn't. I guess I saw that you know said opportunities to start. I guess as a professor, I started working with um, like the English Majors Association and helping them run some readings. And I kind of figure I've always been a pretty like gregarious guy and kind of social and enjoy enjoy people. And um, it's like okay, I, I became fairly good, I guess, at getting people to show up. You know, at these events, and it's just kind of grown from there. And working with uh, our literary nonprofit up there, the Cabin, which is a great place that does a lot of events I, you know working with them there's summer writing camps with kids and some writers in the schools programs we started i helped them organize some things and then um it's just kind of cool to see i guess once you kind of do get known for as that guy people start coming to me a little bit more for like maybe some help in getting something off the ground and then also wanting to collaborate with other there's a couple different awesome you know, non-profits that run these poetry series and then there's one called death rattle writers festival that's out just in the kind of a well a suburb i guess nampa idaho which is you know just about 20 minutes outside of boise but they are these kind of hip kids that have now been doing some cool stuff but i think feels like it's kind of helped we've I mean, kind of helped the, each other kind of stay mm-hmm. relevant in that way so all these community you know entities i guess were working together in a very cool way i saw that i could maybe kind of help promote and just get the written word out there and have it make it be fun too it's one of the things that i've definitely done I, you know readings can get a little they're at a bookstore a or at a professor yeah. I mean, but the professor showing up at the the school but we do them like in we have different events in, in sort of bars and you know sort of cafes yeah. and out on the street and all kinds of stuff where it's kind of more fun and hip and and people seem to like it well what's interesting to me one thing that's interesting to me interesting slow down um You've always been one of the more well-mannered people that I've known. Your personality is, is very well-mannered and very polite early in the evening. <laughs> Until, yes. But no, the stuff you – I was struck – last summer I, I accompanied Chris on a, a trip to Moscow, Idaho, where he did a reading. And there were three readers. And before – whoever was introducing you mentioned that all this is very kind of – she didn't use gritty, but that's kind of what she was getting at. It's very like, kind of harsh realism. Yeah, a little bit of dirty realism, I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting to me being around here where people are a little more mannered in their writing. Uh, Your writing is less mannered, though you are very mannered. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And and a comment I made before where, you know, I stop, I write about old people now. And you're still right. You're still mining that period of sort of discovery and ambition when you're young like that. Tell me a little bit about where that comes from. Or where do you dig it out? I... 
I mean, it's very sometimes it's very hard to tell where a story comes from in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, an anecdote, something they over come here. From a scene. It could come from a scene. Come from, like, what's wrong with you? Is what's wrong with me? For instance, the story that's in the new collection, and I just had that title for some reason in my mm-hmm. head, and I wrote it down years ago, and then it didn't have a story for it to go with. Uh, they, and the story finally ended up kind of just being born out of that title, and it just took on a life of its own in a cool way that I. I guess the, I mean, I, I, there's something about, of course, you know, like you said, that period of discovery or kind of when maybe there's a, a little naivete and, and maybe fiery spirit to a to a younger narrator um, or protagonist. It kind of, I don't know, it seems like there's a little bit more meat on the bone for me to play around with, I guess. But I also have some stories we were talking about last night, you know, that some writing a story, actually a novel, a story that turned into what I hope is going to be a novel, um, just about a guy about, you know, my age, uh, mm-hmm. which is just now 50, oh. which is scary, um, I guess, is not a, I don't like to say it out loud, but I just It did. is a little freaky, I but admit. He, he's going to retrieve, like, his father, who's been living on his own, but is kind of failing and can't, you know, he's going to have to move into an assisted living facility, which is not autobiographical, at least not yet in my life, but... Uh, it just seemed like I don't know. He just seemed like a character that I could relate to, and it, is, it has been a little bit, I don't know, awkward at times writing about him. Well, there's but no, I'm not writing about like a 19 year old young woman or something like that, or a, there's a kid. A you know, a lot from, more distance between you and the character when the character's your age. That's true. I don't um, know. Yeah, so something I guess you know in this collect, like Naked Me, the collection um, that came out a couple years back, you know, it does have a lot of younger you know, yeah. protagonists, and I guess it just. Is this something I? I mean, I'm just kind of immature. I think <laughs> something. I'm just like somebody <laughs> well, who still taps it. I'm you know being around younger people teaching you know sort mm-hmm. of at, at the university or in some of my own workshops. I have this. I enjoy. I don't know. There's, there's a vibrancy to it, and but I you know I have old friends too, yeah, like Larry. One city. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, and just most of what I've read of yours has been in Naked Me, not counting stuff I read 30 years ago. Was it 30 years ago? Oh, boy. Um, that. Yes. But they're all characters who are on the verge of something, it seems like. you know. And, and I, it's probably using younger characters, although I haven't read you know stuff that you've written about older characters, it's easier to write about them being on the verge. It's easier to be on the verge of something big when you're young, it seems. Um, one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was... All your stuff is set in the West, you know. And I've, yeah. And for me, that's very consistent because I've always known you. I mean, you're a very West. You just said your family, you know, your mother's family is like Oregon Trail people. Oh yes. When you went to Boise and really entrenched yourself not only in a community but in really pursuing a serious life as a writer, did you consciously decide I'm going to be part of that Western tradition? Of writers, I I'm going to be didn't. Bill Kittredge, or no, I know I didn't ever. I mean, didn't do that that super consciously either. But I don't. I'm not super comfortable writing about you know set of setting stories or a novel um, in places with, that I don't know that well. Even though these days, of course, you can look up plenty of places um, right. and um, get a lot of information. And I've traveled around the U.S. and you know, but I've never spent. You know, Boise is like the furthest east I've ever lived. So I grew up wow. in California. Was born in Oregon. Lived in Seattle for years, and so then um, I'd be more comfortable writing in places about, about places that I, I've kind of been entrenched in and have more experience with. Um, to the most, for the most part. So I guess it's because of that. But I am drawn to the West. I mean, I've been traveling the U.S. You know, 
couple different times back in my 20s, you know, it just was, I never felt super comfortable. I almost went to do a PhD at the you know, University of Southern Mississippi, and I went and visited, and it was supposed to, it was like the Southern School for Writers, um, the Bartholomew brothers were down there, and they, they, I don't know, I just did, I was like, spending three or four years down here just does not <laughs> seem like something I want to do, so. That's interesting. I didn't actually know, maybe I did, that you had considered that, but. It's funny that you would look into southern Mississippi because, yeah, I could see that being a romantic idea. Like, oh, I'm going to go to the south like Faulkner, man. It's going to be so cool. I'm going to start writing gothic. Yeah. But you got there and not so much. Not so much. And it is a really good program that kind of otherwise has a good good reputation at least. Um, and as a program, too, that kind of um, for a Ph.D., it's not – Super like academic oriented is more for the artist, the writer, and you know. So I wanted something that would help me basically get a book or two out in three years or four years, you know. So it seems catered to that. So that was one reason for just on a practical level. But it did, it did seem like oh, this could be really cool, yeah. You know, so, and it is moss dripping and yeah. And I had, you know had been to it's not far from New Orleans, um, about an hour, I guess. But I have never been. You never have. Nope. The doors closed. Right. I'm too old now. No, come on! It, you could, yeah, no, you older could man. do the Bourbon Street. They go the Bourbon Street's a little, uh, a little excessive. Yeah, um, I did go. I went, I went a couple years ago by myself. I was passing through Las Vegas and I saw the Fremont Street experience. And I thought I probably would hate New Orleans because just really, really, really drunk people. Oh yeah, it's pretty. It's like, I mean, we kind of stayed around Bourbon Street. Guys you know, playing but, air guitar and their three foot long beer cups. Not so much. Right, but that's yeah, and that's only pretty much the French Quarter. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I, I, there are no people that just love it. <laughs> but we digress. Um, but it's not just setting that we're talking about. Hmm. You know, it's it's more it's it's when you first started writing. I think like all of us, we were sort of under the influence of Raymond Carver. Like all of us Western kids, all, you know, living in Washington and writing that stuff. And it's not just a setting, although the setting is important. It's also a tone, and I think you have that same sort of. I don't want to say bleak tone, but it's a spare tone. And yeah. that seems pretty Western to me. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I would agree that I was influenced by the, the likes of Carver and even like the, and the lifestyles of like the Beats, too. I was interested right. in that. Then the San Francisco stuff was something that was really intriguing to me. I had to, to climb me. out from under that Carver stuff. Really? Oh, yeah, because it's not how I write. I tried to. I tried really hard. And you liked yeah. Hemingway, too. I did. I, I do. Was, I was always a Fitzgerald guy. Right, which he's he's pretty good too. So, but, but a totally I, different kind of writer, though. absolutely. And I I think that I become, and I don't really remember my early writing being like quite a spare kind of mm. like bleak West kind of stuff um, as much. But I, I just I've been, just been drawn to writers that you know do keep it pretty compact, and pretty efficient, you know, on the on the page, but. Um, I do write a fair amount of poetry as well, so I kind of get rid of maybe, maybe I shouldn't say get rid of, but kind of work in a different kind of capacity there. Um, different parts kind of, of the brain. I feel like it, but I, I mean, I, they're narrative a lot of times, but they're also just kind of more experimental with language for me. And I've published a few poems, but I've been sort of shy to try to put a book out there or something like that. So who knows what will happen in the future? Maybe I'll go. You know, Bukowski was also another influence, and so you know, he was writing fiction. We all we all had to climb out from. I know. We still. I still am. I think a little bit, but you know. Anyway, so I think it's evolved for me as, as a as a Western writer, just the way I put you know, sentences on the page and the kind of characters I write about um, to kind of embrace the the West without really do, doing it. I guess super consciously either which sounds kind of like a cop-out but uh 
you know, it's hard to even, I find it difficult to explain always like where these characters come from and why Mm -hmm. it does feel Western, but, um, it's cool. They do, but I hadn't, you know, really noticed it until all of a sudden I had like a book length manuscript together in grad school. I'm like, Oh, this is a pretty Western. And and people commented on it. And I was like, okay, I I just want to tell a good story, you know? Right. But you, I mean, it's, it's where you're from, but, but once, okay, let's assume that the whole world is running around saying Christian Wynn is a Western writer. Mm-hmm. Is that being pigeonholed, or is it nice to have that calling card? Like, oh, I know what I'm getting here. It's it's a Western guy. <laughs> I'm going to hear about, you know, but random small towns in Montana. Right. And Mormons. and Right, right. I, you know, I guess... Um it's kind of cool, you know, but I think they're fairly diverse. And I mean, it's kind of like an urban West also mix. I mean, there's kind of people out on, you know, road trips in, in northern Nevada, you know, sort of wandering around the, the high ah, desert. Or but that, you know, and this just occurred to me. Okay. I mean, the road trip, other than Jack Kerouac, is a very Western construct. This idea of driving across big empty spaces yes. and sort of letting the world wash over you while you ponder is very Western. And I love that. Me and, too. Yeah. Um, in fact, drove from Boise, and there's a lot of nothingness out there in, in oh, Nevada. Yeah. That drive down. Yeah. Did you drive on the loneliest highway in the world on the way down here? That Highway 50, I think it is. Uh, no, it's, I think it goes, it's we like, go like Fallon or something. We go through. You go through like Winnemucca, straight down on second 95, I believe. But yeah. that, I think that, that one that cuts off, it goes towards Vegas. I think outside of Reno by about an hour. Yes, I, I did that. I, I did that last year. Yeah, yeah. And there's not much out there. That is pretty cool. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess um, no. But I love that stuff too. You know, I, I got to go to Switzerland a couple months ago with my wife, and it's like, isn't it great? But, you know, traveling international. Like, yeah, but I, I mean, I valued just as much the trip that I stopped in Kingman, Arizona, you know, yeah. a month before. It was awesome. I know, and I think that that's one thing about Idaho as well, I have to say, in, in my, some of my draw to Boise, I mean, you can be out in kind of nothingness very quickly, yeah. you know, or, you know, up in the wilderness in the mountains, you know, in, within an hour, it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere, and you kind of are, and, or out into the desert, or, you know, Boise is a very isolated city, in fact, I think it's the most isolated city in the U.S., major city, as far as the proximity to another major city. Hmm. Um, so, it... I, you know, that's one thing that, I mean, I can just get out and drive to this little town called Hagerman, which is south of there, down towards Jackpot, Nevada, which is a border town that's probably always intriguing. Just the name. So, yes. And it's been just, basically, you just go there, you know, play cards and or golf and, you know, see the, the, all the people. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people watching down there. But I love that. It's close, you know, and there's, you know, sort of a way to get out of the city. I think that even coming into the Bay Area... After, you know, sort of leaving, like, Sacramento and heading into the city, you start to feel a little claustrophobic a little bit more. I, and, you know, didn't think about it when I lived here back as a kid or kind of traveled in the past, um, you know, several years back. But now I feel like I don't want, really want to be elbow to elbow with people quite as much as I used it's to. It's pretty crowded. And all that stuff informs your writing. Yeah, I think it does. Um, shoot, I was going to say something. I was going to make some really brilliant comment about that, and then it just... It'll come back. It's to a very small space, but it'll bounce <laughs> yeah. around. Um, all right, let's go back to the biographical stuff then. When did you start really diving into to what I'll call community organizing? Okay. Uh, it's interesting. Well, I, was, I had to say that Boise State, um, there, was, you know, there are politics in yeah, universities and whatnot. So a few years ago, and no it's kind, way, of, really really. kind of frustrating as a creative writing professor. Um, 
coming on like full time or you know getting things like just regular old benefits and there there's a lot of you know adjunct abuse I felt like but mm-hmm. they're kind of correcting a lot of that now then or trying to but the creative writing department is now broken off from the English department so it's kind of they have a little more autonomy but anyway I was getting frustrated with that whole process and, and so I was, I was kind of like screw it I'm going to do my own thing I stayed teaching but it was just like okay that's when I started story for it with folks from the cabin the director at the time um, she and I kind of got the thing rolling and then she's since moved on to Minnesota, but, you know, just kind of taken it over with a couple of assistants and other folks. So it's kind of like a, what, about four or five years ago, I started doing that. And then I was like, okay, well, I can do this other thing. Um, the campfire stories has you know, taken off really nicely. And it was something too. I was like, okay, well, I can, there's other ways to make a living and also other ways to kind of have more of an impact. And it actually, I feel has a, I feel, I hope, that it has more of a an impact than even just sitting in a classroom with a bunch, you know, mm. of young minds teaching writing is great, and I still do a lot of that. But actually, making it like a larger, you know, sort of community-based, you know, sort of awareness happen. And, you know, I, I think I was probably about four years ago. I started like, and things kind of like, you know, kind of like snowballed, snowballed a little bit. It's like, okay, you're doing this. Oh, you can do this, and then um, started doing my teaching my own workshops on a, you know, just a private basis, and. Uh, that's been great to see that grow. Um, so I just, I don't know. I, I've never had like a, an office job or kind of a regular full-time job so much. Maybe my, you know, I've always had kind of a medley going on different ways, <laughs> a different ways to make a collage. money. A sure. collage. Yeah. It's like, you know, working at a bar and then also well, delivering pasta on Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursdays when we lived in Seattle, you know, sort of delivering fresh pasta. And then I worked for like the, Delivering newspapers for the, the East Side Week for a while, but I kind of I've never had this uh, that standard like nine to five or eight to well, six or whatever. And it's kind of you know I've always marvelled because, like I said, sort of t- as a toss off line earlier. You know, we were in the streets wild, and then I got old, and you stayed the same <laughs> age. But in a, in a way, you're kind of a throwback to this sort of romantic notion of a writer. You know, someone who never really has to never really has to operate within the structures of the regular world though i mean you were in the university setting for a while right but it's like we had talked before i've never gotten a performance review never gotten a promotion never like right not gotten a bonus but you and yet you've done all this stuff and and for me it was stuff i was not willing to do you know like delivering pasta no way man i'm not doing that (laughs) working in restaurants yeah i did play i hate it yeah but you've kept doing it and it's really uh, i i think it's honorable that you've committed to all this stuff and been okay with it yeah it gets a little bit Harry, sometimes over the years it has for like actually making, you know, sure you can pay the bills, of course, right. and then kind of, you know, things like insurance and, you know, just. Uh, well, those are the realities. I know. It's like, so you had to kind of figure out a way to do that. And I've been fortunate enough. I mean, that's one thing I got to say in Boise to help, too, is like in a bigger city where you had to make the money. It's harder to do the hodgepodge, maybe, I think. Mm. Maybe. I guess I was doing it in Seattle, but it wasn't quite the Seattle. But I wonder in Boise if it's also easier. To sort of keep this, I'm trying to figure out a way to put this in words without sounding trite. But you've, your writing life, not just your personal, but your writing life, is different than a lot of people I know whose writing lives are, for want of a better word, mannered. You know, it's mm-hmm. a little, it's more. It's not in bars. 
Yeah. You know, like I said, you're the only person I know whose author website has a picture of you in a bar. And it's sort of a <laughs> Jonathan Evanson, you said, does too now. If you got yeah, Jonathan yet. Evanson does too now, too. Um, and it's sort of a persona that, you know, it works because of the kind of the way the stories that you write are like, oh, of course that guy's sitting in a bar. Yeah. You know, what else would he be doing? But I know. I, the, that's not to detract from the seriousness of how you go about what you do, but you seem to operate in a different realm than a lot of other people. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't, it's just kind of fit me, I guess, in my, I don't know, it's not necessarily kind of a, something I've rehearsed, I don't feel like, mm-hmm. but it's something I've been drawn to, just this kind of um, sort of out-of-the-box type of life that, uh, you know, I don't know, it might sound like too pretentious, but that's nothing that I would set that's out it, to get do. out. Yeah, <laughs> so, but... It is. I enjoy. That's one thing. I mean, I enjoy doing those things. Probably being social and then being. I don't know. Going out among the people and then also being serious as a writer and they taking what I get out there and actually delivering something hopefully artful and and, and serious. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's not. I don't take myself too seriously. Actually, that's not true. I do take myself very seriously on a certain level, but try not to come across as kind of this. You know. Well, I don't even think it's a case of, of serious or not serious for me. Um, the the readings that you do seem a lot more fun to me, <laughs> you know, because they're they're a little looser or, or just a little more. Like I said, I, I'm sounding trite, but and I think they are for sure. I mean, I, I mean, it becomes you know, it's kind of slightly hip, if or kind of cool, and like because we're getting, we're hopefully we're pushing the bounds of you know, sort of. You know, gender and you know, sort of subject matter, and you know, sort of open up different styles of storytelling. And mm-hmm. all you know, it's, it's not just like you're going to get a poet and a fiction writer, and you know, that's going to be it. I mean, but getting some of that, but then also it, you know, letting them engage the crowd, and um, I don't know, just kind of make it fun. Well, it's all kind of about it's like story and truth, right? Yeah, like telling stories and telling the truth. Absolutely, which is pretty awesome. Um, but it's also there seems to be a little bit of it where. I don't want to say thumbing your nose, but like taking a separate path from the academy. You know, even though, I, and it's funny, for years, I just like, oh, yeah, Chris, when he teaches at Boise State. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he does, right? Yes, yeah, just a lowly adjunct professor. It seems, yeah, you it know, seems like, like it was never a, a real comfortable fit. I mean, I had a lot of autonomy, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, not having those reviews, um, they, I didn't. Unless somebody was going to complain, I'm probably not going to get a lot of oversight from the department, which was great. Cause I, I mean, I think I did a good job with just choosing my own texts and you know presenting the curriculum as as uh, they were looking to have. Do but I think, mean, this kind of yeah. Do you think that gave you the confidence when it came time to go out on your own to do it? It did because I mean, I had never taught before. I mean, left Seattle having never taught, yeah. and um, once I got into grad school, you worked as a TA um, and. Just got a, like a week long class before school started on like orientation. This is how you're going to teach. So get there. You go get in the get in the pool. You know with the kids. And <laughs> you got to learn how to swim and all that kind of stuff. But and I liked it, and it became yeah kind of something in running, especially like a fiction style, you know, kind of Iowa style workshop, um, where it's kind of very conversational and and uh, you know it's a community. I, once I started getting into that, I, fig- I figured I could do it on my own, and I did, and it's become, I think, something I'm good at. Um, most most people who've been involved seem to have gotten quite a bit out of it. We've had a lot of people get published or go off to grad school out of mm-hmm. groups I've run. And, and, so. well, and that's another thing that has been kind of spinning around in my head is that you and I went to Boise last year with you. Um, you're pretty well known in that community. You run into people a lot. 
a lot of former students that you're still in touch with. Um, a lot of people just know who you are. And how much, I mean, how, how does that feel? Is that, is that, is that another reason why you do this? Because you like feeling like a pretty important part of the community or is it just a, is it a perk? Is it a, is it a um, side I guess, yeah, I mean, I'm a social fellow, you know, I do. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Some people aren't very comfortable with like Boise living there. I know. And they've moved on to bigger cities. They outgrow um, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But also people like their anonymity at times. And it's not, it is harder in a place like that's a smaller city like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do like that. I have knowing a lot of people and it does make me, I you know, feel like I'm, you know, kind of being, well, I guess being known and out there, people might associate, you know, hopefully <laughs> a, a, a fairly high level of quality to some of the events or just kind of and the fun factor, kind of it's like, oh, this is a cool thing. Let's go do yeah. that. So I think knowing more people helps the events all grow. And I think, you know, the city I've gotten you know, through Storyfort and, and gotten like a city grant, um, an arts grant, because I see a lot, a lot of value in the last you know three years, whatever of story for it that helped support us. So it was cool to have kind of the city itself, you know, take on you know sort of like wanting to the community to kind of grow in this you know the, the storytelling literary way that I've been able to help promote. Um, so I guess bottom line, the simple answer is yes, I do enjoy having those all these people I know, but um, this is kind of fits my personality um, more than it would others. <laughs> and it's kind of, I guess, what we were dancing around at the beginning when we talked about moving to Boise for opportunities. You also moved there, maybe with maybe unconsciously, didn't know you were doing this, but because it was a place you could make an impact that maybe you couldn't make in a larger place. I tried in to Seattle. make an impact in Seattle, and it was too big for me. Yeah, it was a bit. I mean, I think getting older, you know, maturing, sort of. I don't know. We were. I think we were looking over our shoulders a lot. I thought, like, okay, am I cool to hang out with these kids? Or yeah. Are you getting like you know the, the grunge, grunge v hipster kids? We, we, to, couldn't, we couldn't be grungy, man. I don't know about you, I know, but no, I couldn't. Could I tried to be grungy, and it just turned into a giant Jufro, and that was yeah. That for me I didn't grunge. even try. I had like a goatee for like. Really? Like a week. Oh, man. Like a, I'm just like the little, like, yeah, just little Adobe Gillis one. I tried. I was on a road trip, too. I <laughs> okay, didn't good. want to do it when I was in. <laughs> I was like, I it was in New then, Orleans, actually. I had one. I think back then they were selling goatees at Fred Meyer for 10 I know. Bucks. Yeah, you could just buy one. Yeah, and that was kind of, yeah, a lot of cliche stuff happening <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Let's get out of Seattle. Let's go back to Idaho. Okay. Why don't we, um, we're at a good point now for to kind of dive into this Idaho uh, writer-in-residence deal. Um, now, before yeah. you explain how it happened... It's it's a, I haven't heard of it in any other state, and I'm granted I'm not a very well learned <laughs> guy in the ways of how this stuff works, but is it something unique to Idaho? Um, well, a lot of states you know have like the poet laureate, right? Um, this is and it's a similar type of um, award. Do they also have a poet laureate? They do not. Okay, uh, at least run by the Idaho Commission on the Arts. You know, the different organizations have their own writers in residence for mm-hmm. certain amounts of time, or kind of sell. Or you know, poet laureates. I don't believe there's a poet laureate in in Idaho, in but there Idaho. probably is. After I say it out loud, you know, someone's going to you know correct <laughs> right. me on that. So, but that said, it's like the Idaho Commission on the Arts is a really, really cool entity that um, obviously supports the arts, and um, <laughs> kind of you know, it's, a, it's based in Boise, but they do work like statewide. And so, every three years or every year, they offer these these grants on um, on awards to. Different. Um, they have the visual arts, I believe, one year, and then they'll have, like the performing arts the next, and then the literary arts, which includes fiction. And poetry. you apply for it. You apply for it with your own, um, 
you know, the work, you have, I can't remember what the page limit is, let's say 25 pages, and then you actually apply with uh, with some oral storytelling, too, like a CD, so they kind of want to make sure that you can read well out in public. And, this, <laughs> and does all the, uh, do all the readings and things you hold, does that come into play, too? It, it really kind of did. I mean, that was, that was kind of cool. And I've, I'm friends with, now with um, um, working with this Idaho Commission of the Arts um, kind of literary director. Um, and she did comment afterwards, after I'd won the award, which was awesome, um, that she, I was like, how, how much does that play in? And it was something that, it's, they, you know, they establish like a point system. I and, didn't think it'd have to. Yeah. Because it's like a bonus. And they want... The writing, first of all, to be quality, of course, and I'm glad they thought that it was. And, um, and does it help if you've had books published? Or it does. It does. I mean, it's not a necessity, but I think it, it does for sure, just because um, people will, you know, basically give, kind of think of you as a more serious writer. I guess if you have a book, so if you're going around the state and then um, you didn't have a book yet, they might be kind of like, Ur. but I mean, all the people who applied and got, you know, these these grants this year, um, which yeah, there were five other writers, two or three poets, um, two poets, one nonfiction writer, and two other fiction writers who received money from the Commission on the Arts, and I was able to you know sort of take the the highest honor, which was awesome um, as as the writer in residence. So it part of it is doing community things to going around the state, you know, yeah, and, you know, that was the part. The, so I actually just read the the guidelines or the. Bylines. Oh uh, yeah, and you're supposed to give something like eight readings in three years or something. It's a three year award, which is also very cool because time travels quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it's been about a year now mm-hmm. um, since it's been in place. When yes, yeah, so that's part of the you know sort of the the mission of the Commission on the Arts and part of probably how they get some of their funding is to kind of you know sort of enrich the entire state as much as possible in underserved communities. A lot of it. Um, Trying to get to the small places that don't get a lot of writers who come out and put on readings or kind of hold workshops mm. or craft talks or kind of, you know, to celebrate the written word. Um, do you so, have to put together a plan for the for workshops or do you just show I, up? Yeah, I put together a plan. For instance, we did, and it didn't have to be like we were up in Moscow, Idaho, where the University of Idaho is last summer, or last September, That's, doing yeah, lots of reading. That, to me, that didn't look really like an underserved arts community. No, me. it's not. There's so plenty it's, kind of, going well, on it's there. kind of hard to find. Well, I think that yeah, they call they call them rural, rural. you know, sort of. Well, there were some it was grain kind silos, of rural, but there were definitely grain silos. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting combo in this role is like going out to different places. You want to go to places where people are going to show up, of mm-hmm. course, and then they are going to be into it. Um, so having the university there, and I had a couple of former students who were in the MFA program at the, at the time. So we did get to go up and kind of put on a reading and, and um, not really a craft talk or, or workshop up there, but just kind of a discussion with. Uh, with the crowd, mm-hmm. so and that said, um, I guess yeah, because it's it's supposed to be for a year, so it's like twelve total, one a quarter, one a quarter. A yeah. pro- I mean, that's kind of like a little flexible. So what I do is with the I don't commission the arts, and um, we just kind of sit down, you know, sort of and pick out a few thoughts we think would be good. Going to go to a place called Pocatello here pretty soon, which is out in eastern Idaho. Which is, I mean, that's a sizable yeah, city. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, went up to Salmon, Idaho, which is a very small place, really cool up um, in the Sawtooth there, kind of in kind of central eastern Idaho. Now, tell, then, because our audience, I think, right now is mostly Bay Area people. Okay. Kind of like our lunch audience. Right. Um, 
Salmon, Idaho is up in the mountains. It is at elevation. It's not really like right in the mountains, mountains. So but I, guess. This, I mean, these, this isn't deliverance. No, I mean, this is. It was a little bit deliverance like when we went out to, to go have some beers afterwards. There was some interesting oh, stuff. Because I was going to say every place you took me in Idaho was like resorty. Oh yeah, I mean when we went. I mean Moscow's nice. Um, Moscow was super nice. It's a university town, and yeah. in a lot of ways. And um, McCall, I think we went through. We that through was McCall, very. Uh, yeah. That's a little sort of actually. Yeah, yep. it sort of is that way. But then we were like Riggins. Riggins was Everybody that where the like woman was so nice to yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even and that didn't. I mean, I've seen places in California that look way more backwards. Yeah. And I know when I sit you down with everyone, they go, "Oh, Boise." They're thinking white supremacists. Yeah, I know that's really quite uh, unfortunate because uh, Boise is kind of the pocket of you know sort of more left leaning folks in the whole state. Mm-hmm. But it gets frustrating on that level, and that kind of. It's a whole different subject, I guess, on like what the stereotypes are that people kind of go to for Idaho. I mean, we have them, right. of course, yeah, anything, but a, that's kind of a, an unfortunate one. I was well, way was before Ruby I Ridge. Moved. Ruby Ridge. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great writer who just moved back to Idaho who wrote a book called Idaho. Have you heard of her, uh, Emily Ruskovich? I've heard the name. She's from northern Idaho, and we had a conversation about her growing up up there and like seeing these these guys come out on like Fourth of July, for the, like it March and the parade and stuff like that, and how mm. disrupting it was to their community because most people didn't want them there. But that's, like I said, a whole different discussion. Different, <laughs> so, but it is kind of yeah. I think in going out to the, you know sort of smaller places like Salmon, um, it was cool just to see how much interest. You know, they have a nice new library there actually, but like but it held a workshop and just kind of. I don't know, probably between 8 and 10, I think, people showed up and they had written some short stories or sections of stories I'd gotten beforehand. And so we did, I did like a little workshop and talked with them. But it was cool just to see these, these folks that, you know, sort of are super into the literary arts, but in this kind of community where there's not a ton of that kind of stuff to, to get to take part in, um, unless you kind of make it happen on your own. So I guess that's kind of the whole point of having a writer in residence then. Yeah, it is, for sure. Just to spur it on. Because, I mean, just because someone lives in a rural town doesn't mean that they're an idiot. No, not at all. <laughs> they have no interest in Ab- the arts. Absolutely. And that's definitely part of their mission. Um, and you can get pretty remote pretty quickly, like I said, in, in Idaho. So it's, it's going to be it's kind of an interesting thinking, okay, I, I don't want to use up all the cities in the state with those 12 readings. I don't know if I could, but it's not, there's a lot of, oh, it's a very uh, small population um, that Idaho has comparatively, say, of course, like California or Washington. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and there's a long, it's a long way between spots too and there's a lot of wilderness you know there's like most of the center of idaho is like frank church you know sort of river of no return like federal you know wilderness area um that you can't there's no roads like you can't so it's kind oh, of interesting wow. like going from eastern to western it's kind of there's only a couple a few different routes you can take but there's a big chunk you can't really you know you can fly mm. over it but you can't really drive um all you know straight to it but Anyway, yeah, so it's, it's been a great, I mean, a super, it's a huge honor just to be able to do that. And having, I mean, I did, I got to do this thing um, at the State House, which Boise is the capital, and so it's just down the street from where I live is the capital, and they had this Governor's Arts Awards, um, and people from all over the state, I won't go into the details on that, but they, I got to do a little kind of, I read an essay. They asked me to write, like, read, do a reading of some sort for as kind of the representative, a representative of the Idaho Commission on the Arts. Um, so there's the governor and the first lady of Idaho sitting, you know, up on the stage behind me, and I get wow. to read this in the in the um, 
in the, what do you, the rotunda room. What do you call that? The oh, the with the dome and everything. Yeah, I, was, I think it's called the rotunda. Yeah, the, under the rotunda. Yeah. So that's where I was, and there was you know, all you know, I don't know, a couple hundred people there, and I got to read this essay I wrote about my family um, and all the Idaho experiences I've had myself and then kind of it trickling back into the history of my family um and got to I tell a number of different stories in like you know five minute essay it took me to, to read, you know it's about 500 words and it took me you know three minutes to five minutes to read but it, it was really cool to think about oh here i am all these like not quite 20 years later after moving out of seattle i like would have never imagined being yeah, an Idaho writer in residence. The but, governor's sitting behind me. But then it's like, oh man, my fa- I, this maybe it's, this was just kind of like a destiny of sorts because like my family's been here and there's been so many stories. My uncle, who passed away a couple years ago, um, was a really great storyteller and took me around all around the state and had had documented a lot of our family's history. So kind of not being much of a nonfiction writer, it really kind of was cool to get into just kind of researching what my, my people have been through and then just actually being like, now I'm part of this history too. So that's, that's pretty cool. Well, there is something that seems very right about you ending up there. Like, I didn't know at the time that you had so much family history there. It seemed very random to me, like Boise, <laughs> whatever, couldn't make it in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. But and it's funny that you say you still have wanderlust because you're clearly settled there. I am. And yeah, you're settling down now. You know, you're going to be married soon. And yes, that's the thing. Have a family. <laughs> um, but it seems to make perfect sense to me that you would have found roots there. Yeah, it does seem right. I mean, it kind of felt right from the very you know start or near the start at least. The mm-hmm. first I moved there in the summer, and then kind of the bleak winter set in, and I was you that know can be having bleak, right? <laughs> having. Uh, second and third thoughts and going back to Seattle just to visit friends, you know, three or four or five times in that period. So I was kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to stay. But then by spring, it was like, I like I was, in, I was and, here. And, and you don't think, right. you, you, you don't envision yourself ever being one of the people like the ones you've met who have thought, ah, it's just getting too small, man. I got to move to New York and really show that I can make it. No, I, d- I don't feel that way. I mean, I did, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in New York, but a couple times in the last little bit, and I was like, oh, I could do this. Maybe it'd be kind of cool, but, or Bay Area, San Francisco, or, you know, another bigger city um, that could, I don't know, show people that I made it or whatever. But right. I also, I just kind of, I don't, I mean, it's very Because well, I'll tell you what, comfortable. That, that was the chip I had on my shoulder the whole time I lived in Seattle. I would come here and go, every single person here is in the big leagues, and I'm in the minor <laughs> leagues. <laughs> I was wrong. And I think, yeah, out. exactly. I think that we think that stuff a lot more. Um, yeah, it's actually real, you know. Sort of um, maybe you know, maybe improved technology has taken that away a little bit, where you feel sort of isolated and, and removed. Like I'm missing all this stuff. But I definitely had that sense, and I, it was, and I was wrong. <laughs> and you were wrong. I'm not that guy. I don't need the big city. Yeah, I, I mean. I was ready to, like I said, leave Seattle, and that kind of sense of like having a little bit more. Um, I don't know, kind of be, actually being, it was a bit of reinvention, I guess. I mean, I did open this vintage, vintage clothing store that I would have, that would have been very difficult to do yeah. for me at that time in Seattle. And then also, I was planning to go back to school at some point. I'd taken like the GREs. At, I don't know. And it's like, okay, I'm going to actually become a writer and a teacher guy. And it's not what I was doing in Seattle, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, delivering pasta and, and newspapers and, you know, <laughs> sort of in bars. cleaning carpets. We both we were all had that. Yeah, carpets. Yeah, yeah. So that was. We had a friend who was the hookup and we all got jobs cleaning commercial carpets in the middle of the night. It was, I have a lot of 
stories that have been waiting to be born from that time, but I have not actually written my carpet cleaning. See, story. I do too, but I'm never the hero of those stories. I'm the, no. the hapless... Yeah. <laughs> spraying the stuff all around, you know, losing control of the hose and stuff. <laughs> it was a tough job. Okay, we're actually getting close to the end of this, so I want to get up to speed on what you're working on now. Well, yeah, I do have this new book of um, basically four like longer stories. It's kind of um, that's coming out, so it's, um, novelettes, I guess we might call. So it's four <laughs> stories because I know um, Naked Me had everything from flash fiction. To short, yeah. longer pieces, but not novelettes. Yes, I mean, approaching it, I guess, with a couple of stories in there, you know. But anyway, Can I don't get away from you. I can't end this. Uh, yeah, I think it was a publisher at Dock Street Press, you know. And they're like, well, do you, do you have many of these longer stories do you have? And they publish also work with a. I think it's called just the big story. It's a uh, publication up in Seattle, and they're, they're publishing. They're kind of dedicated to publishing longer stories, and so I they had that in mind. But anyway, so I have that ready to come out, which is awesome. And then I actually have. I'm one of those writers that works on a number of things at a time. I guess, um, which is maybe not good. But then I had to like sit down and focus, get a deadline for a particular story. But I do have another collection that it, I just had to kind of piece it together. I have enough stories for another collection um, that. I'll be trying to pitch and get it out there into the world. So that is kind of, I'll be tinkering with some of those stories as far as editing and getting the a title and kind of the continuity, hopefully, for all those stories of, um, for another collection. But I also have this novel that's set in Seattle. Um, it's called Crocodile. Yes. You had read, and I I'm sitting there kind of, it needs some incubating time, I feel like, but it's sitting there waiting for me to go back to it. But um, And... Also, this, this new one I was mentioning um, about the guy who's going to retrieve his father, and this, his father lives in Reno, so I was done a little research that's in Reno. Lately. It, it, well, it's, that's the plan. It's probably yeah. about 40, 50 pages right now, so that's the next one I'm building out. It's a novel. Um, I, I continually write stories, and as a teacher of fiction, I oftentimes will give prompts to my students, and mm. I, as much as possible, like to kind of participate in those too and i think that the kids not always kids but just my students <laughs> like to see that me have some pretty if i can say shitty drafts you know <laughs> you might have, but you know to see these really kind of clunky early drafts see i think it's it kind starts, of helps yeah. them you know and then seeing where i take them from there i think is i hope is a, a good way to educate a, a younger writer just because you do think as a young writer that oh this like some Larry Rosen guy, you can just write a story that's seamless right from the start if you read the seamless story. But it took like 50 drafts or something right. like that. So people right. don't realize that. But anyway, so I'm continually working on short fiction. In fact, just started a story this morning, a new one. Oh, nice. In our little coffee shop. Yes, exactly. Because I had an idea. What I had a, an idea for the story already, and then I just wrote the first couple paragraphs in the scene. So I had some new things emerge. I was like, oh. And right now I have about eight new beginnings of different stories I'm just sitting in my computer that I'll go back to one at a time. That's tough. I, you know, once I, thanks to the Grotto Pod Challenge, write 500 words a day, yeah. I started working again, and I can only, I started like, oh, I'll do this first thing, then I'll do another, and then I said, oh, and then I'll start working on that novel that's been sitting there, and I just had to go back to the, that novel and not yeah, just keep focusing on that, because otherwise it just gets away from me, which is one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, as a short story writer, when you decide you want to write a novel... How do you keep track of everything? I know. Like in, you mean in the book itself? Just in general, I have to keep going back and rereading, like, oh, that's right, and then take note. This guy showed up in this chapter. Don't lose track of, you know, here's the name of the the friend that, you know, just is a very small. It is, yeah. 
It is, I mean, people it's here been use, um, People use something called Scrivener. Scrivener. It's a it's software no. that they use, and it's like an organizing software, and it seems to. I don't know. I n- I've never, but I think that's a good idea. Someone it's probably, a great idea. Yeah. Instead of having 8 million post-its all over the place. Exactly. And it depends on, the, of course, the novel itself. Like Crocodile was just set in Seattle as this group of friends. But I did, have to, I did a lot of research as far as actually what happened when. And there's a lot of music culture stuff. Yeah. That was, I was mixing up times. Like, and I, think memories. Was, I think I sent you notes on that. There were a couple I had to keep going back to, like, yeah. okay, when was this show? When did the first Lollapalooza happen? When was that bar open or that right. venue? And so I, I think I've got most of it ironed out, I feel like. But um, that was a, ch- a ch- challenge. But I kind of wrote the for that long narrative, it just kind of, I had it kind of mapped out and I just kind of plotted away, plotted away. But then I went back. Which you're probably doing with your stuff, and like you know, been, kind of like correcting those mistakes, or yeah. kind of, you know, researching. Um, and it's been kind of, or was you know, when I was putting together Crocodile's fun, and kind of maybe not the best thing for my productivity. Because you get a, you get a, you're, you're down the rabbit, rabbit hole yeah. of like yeah, YouTube videos from the you know late '80s, early '90s <laughs> in Seattle, and you know, pretty fun to go back. But um, anyway, so I kind of do it just um, piece by piece. And that's why, man, I don't know, I've, I've been drawn to short stories so much, and I kind of, you know, have these novels that I want to write, and, but something I love so much about the short story, I might, I'm kind of, sometimes I'm thinking, okay, well, I feel like maybe I should be, go, go full carver, this is to stay in the realm of, you know, poetry, and, <laughs> full carver. yeah, so I have to do, because he didn't ever publish, never publish a novel. No, and he. But I think he was working on one when he died, or he he, he might always was trying to work on one. He wrote a fair amount of poetry too. He did, he but did. I mean, it's hard to. It's a little harder to make it financially as a short story writer, unless yeah. you're really lucky. I know, or kind of, you know, you're good and fortunate, you know. Right, or you just got to not. You just got to assume you're not going to make a living. Yeah, and it's like there's other, that's why these kind of other things I do, you know, like we've already talked about, you know. It's, it's like, oh, I have to remind myself that, yeah, I mean, I'm doing important work that's cool. And even if, you know, a short story gets paid $500 or a free contributor copy or something yeah. like that or, you know, or a little more on occasion. But it's kind of to think – I've had to think more like, okay, this allows me the opportunity to do these other things. Right. It opens up some doors. Um, you get this out into the world. And plus, in reading short stories, it's cool to – I've always been a pretty voracious reader of the short story. Um, and – it's always like if a story like could touch somebody, a reader. One of my stories could touch a reader in the same way I've been touched by other great writers like Miranda July or Carver, um, Jennifer Egan, who's a Bay Area, mm-hmm. Bay Area, not anymore, but lives in the Brooklyn now, I think. But she writes a lot about the Bay she Area. She outgrew it. Yes, yeah, she did. She I guess the so. Bay Area. Yeah, that's the thing um, that you know. Sometimes in my my career path is definitely not an arc. Mm-hmm. So it's a struggle sometimes, but a, a couple of years ago I was doing a series of columns for a, ma- a local newspaper about being an empty nester, mm-hmm. and I would you know write them, and then I would put them on Facebook, and people would read them. And go, that made me cry, and I'm like, wow, like, I can make people cry. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool, man. That's for my a, I love it. I mean, whatever I got paid for it. It sounds kind of perverse, but I do. I always try to tell that kind of stuff to my students and. Was it, is it Wilco as a song where you're we're trying to break your heart? I'm trying to break your heart. That's kind of like, you know, or, that or doesn't mean just, that. I'm exactly. trying to touch you, you know, have some yeah. impact, make a connection with you through, through what I'm writing. 
that's like, yeah, like Dennis Johnson, the great, you know, sort of short story writer, novelist, playwright, just passed away. Super sky point, Dennis also, Johnson. Also, uh, he, um, he was an Idaho guy. He was actually just at BSU last, like a year and a half ago, doing a, a gig. So we got to see him read, and he, sadly, you know, things took a turn for the worse um, with some health issues after he left. But Jesus' son is, up, of course, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, he's another one of those, like, you just, uh, it's kind of like you had to check that one off the list as a young writer, I feel like. But it still has a staying power. And that has, those stories always maybe go kind of this kind of flip off the page at the end because I'm so mad because it's like, how, how'd you do you're so much better yeah, than I'll ever be? So, I mean, it's inspiring. I'm like I'm happy. Opposite. Yeah, I'm always like, yeah. Well, I'm, it's kind of a good anger that emerges from me. <laughs> right? It's kind of like a righteous inspired anger. Makes, you, makes me happy and kind of like jealous at the same time. That is a really good note to end on, and we are out of time. But before we go, Mr. Wynn, Senator Wynn, as I like to call you back yes, in the day, can you tell us how, uh, give us your webpage, uh, perhaps your Twitter handle so people can follow you? <laughs> I'll better wait on the Twitter one because I'm still, I mean, I have You're one. still setting it but up. I'm, yeah, it was not working for me. Actually, I have one already out there, um, I think. It's just Christian Win, um, but that's the Twitter one. But it's ChristianWin dot dot com is my website. W i n n. Yeah. So ChristianWin dot com has links to different stories and things that are happening, and I do my best to keep it updated or have. It's uh, slick too. It's nice looking. It's a you nice think so? Well, I had yeah. a former student. She does that kind of stuff for. She did, and she just moved back east. But in Marin Boise, she had a. Um, it was kind of a side gig, so she helps. All right, I like that kind of help. But yeah, that and um, you can find me on Facebook. It's Christian and, A. Win. And actually, um, are there any sites for Story Fort or there are um, um, the log ca- is it log cabin? No, what's the one you do? The cabin. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a ca- the cabin. Now they changed it from the log cabin literary oh. center a few years ago, but it's just the cabin. That's okay. center for writers and. Readers and writers, I think. Um, so you can just Google the cabin. I don't want to give the wrong website, but Google the cabin, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great resource. Has some material um, that they put out into the world. But then also, Story Fort um, is yeah, TreeFortMusicFest.com. Yeah, so I think I looked that up. This yeah, and then there's a link to the Story Fort page, and then we are on Twitter, another Story Fort, and um, also on Facebook. You're so not maintaining that Twitter, are you? No, I have a great, awesome assistant, Re. Yeah, someone else, Zika. She is younger, hipper, and savvier. Younger, yes. Hipper, no way. Okay, not hipper. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Here. Okay, she's kind of a nerd too. <laughs> she's a word nerd and kind of word a word yeah, nerd. I like she, that. But she's an awesome librarian but in town, and she also anyway she maintains it. I do not. I've been forbidden, not really forbidden, <laughs> but she like I've established our brand. Okay, she's yeah. So uh, here at the Grotto Pod, you can find us at the Grotto Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at that Larry Rosen. Of course, we have the GrottoPod.com website and uh, GrottoPod at Gmail. Or is it the Grotto Pod? I think it's Grotto Pod at Gmail. Send us a letter. Tell us if you're writing 500 words, please. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and also. Go to iTunes and subscribe. Um, as for me, remember, if you want to listen to more of me, if you can't get enough, go to isitgoodforthejews.com. This is the part where Bridget usually takes us out, and she's not here, so I'm going to have uh-huh. to do it. And we always end the show by saying, just wait. Shoot, I didn't even know because it's her line. Read, write, and just keep working. All right. That's what we I'll, do. Say I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, like Chris Wynn, just keep working. 